turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 18 down to uh, verse 35 in a message that I've entitled, The Faith of John the Baptist. Now, one of the common misconceptions about the body of Christ, and specifically about a relationship with the Lord, and very specifically about leadership and those who are, you know, you might say, high up there next to the Lord. You know, we kind of have that mental impression that there's, you know, that there's super saints like Billy Graham and Pastor Chuck, whom we've just lost and has gone home to be with the Lord, and, you know, guys like the apostles and the disciples and all of those, you know, great, great, great men and women of God. You know, you have, you know, Rahab, who just had this incredible faith. And so as we as we think on that, sometimes we're we're tempted to think, that that means that they're immune to having their faith tested. And I, for one, am very grateful for the lives that we see in Scripture where the Lord not only does not protect them from the very worst that mankind has to offer, but sometimes, and in fact much of the time, some of the greatest examples of face and adversity and being in the midst of the things that you would think would diminish your faith are held by those who are those great saints. And I like that because it gives me not only great hope that the Lord can indeed preserve us in those times of difficulty and trial, but it gives us something to shoot at. Because it's easy to live your life apart from faith. It's very hard to live your life in faith. And in fact, people look for simple rationale. People look for simple intellectualism. People look for just basic explanation. Very often when people come to Christ, they're almost in an intellectual endeavor or an intellectual search. And in fact, very often people will ask questions like, well, where's the proof that God exists? Let me say to you this, that as we'll see this morning, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot come to Christ without faith. And if you have faith, part of growing in Christ is growing in faith. And so we have this tremendous example of the faith of John the Baptist before us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Lord, for those stretches of faith, God, those days when we wake up and we really don't know why you've allowed things to come into our lives, or we would think that you would absolutely shield us, and yet you don't. And the result of it is that we're stretched and tested and molded and shaped and moved. And we grow, God, in that faith. And we're thankful for the opportunities that we have to grow. We pray that you would strengthen us by the hearing of your word. Cause us, Lord, to understand. Lord, help us to take it in. May it become as meat to us, Lord. Protein for our spiritual living. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody else occasionally have that lapse of faith? I'm... You know, I, I'm sure all of you are super saints and you never have a lapse of faith. Amen? You just get up in the morning and it's just like you and Jesus and everything. Is, we're going to do it. No, we all have lapses of faith. I have lapses of faith. There are days I wake up and, I, and I've had those things. You can ask Connie. Ask my wife if I've ever had a lapse of faith. And she'll, well, not in the last 40 seconds. Yeah, we have lapses of faith, and that doesn't mean to diminish the work that God's done in any of our lives, not mine or anyone else's. I have much more faith than I used to have. But there are days when you reach those things in life, and you're just like, wow, how did I get here? What's happening there? Why is this going on? God, what are you doing in my life that this would come? And I want to turn your attention before we move on to our passage to Mark chapter 11. If you want to turn there, you can, and I'll just give you the synopsis of it. If you remember, Jesus is traveling with his disciples in that passage, and we're going to look at verse 22 here in a moment. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. He's come from Bethany, and he passes by a fig tree, and he sees the fig tree in the distance. 
And he goes to the fig tree and finds that there's no fruit on it. There's a few leaves. It's withered. And so he says that this fig tree would be cursed. Now, for the disciples, it's kind of an interesting thing because a fig tree was a sign of prosperity during that day and time. It was a food source, but it was also a picture of the nation Israel. And so the picture there is actually, in a greater sense, the nation Israel. But Jesus says, this tree will never bear fruit. And then Peter, being the usual Peter, basically a day or so later, comes along and and as he looks at that tree, he says, Lord, you simply spoke to it, and it's so. It's withered. It's not going to bear any fruit. Just at your word, it happened. And so Peter basically asks a question. How'd you do that? How did that come about? And here's the answer, verse 22. And so Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. He doesn't say anything else beyond have faith in God. And then he says, You got mountains you need moved? Here's the key. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. You realize what he's saying here? You got a mountain in your life that needs to be moved? Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's something with your finances. Perhaps it's a marital issue. Maybe it's your children. We have mountains nationally, I can tell you that. Rising national debt and no way to take care of it. We have major mountains in our lives at times, do we not, family of God? If you don't have any major mountains, I'll give you one of mine. I have plenty. i got a range of mountains that need to be moved. We all have mountains. And he says, you say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You realize what Jesus is saying. Faith moves mountains. But it's real faith. It's not the cheesy televangelist on TV faith, okay? We're talking about faith in the true and the living God. The type of faith that we find in Scripture that James says that the effective, the fervent, the effective, effectual, absolute prayer of a righteous person avails much. It accomplishes what God intends it to do. You see, that's why Hebrews tells you that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of that which is not seen. In other words, it's real. So this morning we have this story of John the Baptist. Family, you can't be saved without faith. You won't grow without faith. Victories will be few and far between, scarce without faith. Faith is essential to your walk with the Lord. It's not just coming to church and hearing me blabber on for 45 or 50 minutes. It is not you simply picking up your Bible. You must read your Bible with faith. You must pray with faith. You must serve with faith. Faith is an essential. So much so that there in Hebrews 11, in verse 6, it says, Without faith it is, notice the word, impossible to please God. It is an impossibility to claim a relationship with Jesus Christ and to do so without faith. That's why you'll never convince anyone with dynamic argument to become a Christian. Because if you could talk them in, someone can talk them out. That's why there will not ever be anybody in heaven who got there because they understood eschatology, the things of the end times. There won't be anybody in heaven who got there because they understood the creation account and how it ties to modern science and it proves categorically, that God created the world. You will be there by faith in Jesus Christ. No faith, 
you won't get there. Faith is an essential. And in fact, having it tested, which is what's going to happen in our story, is also essential, as James tells us. You see, it says they're counted all joy, brothers and sisters, brethren, when you fall into various or diverse trials. For knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience. And when that gets done, it leaves you complete. Ready for anything is a good way to look at it. The more faith you have, the more you're ready for what God has in your life. You want to be ready? More faith. Now, absolutely, you need to fellowship. Absolutely, we partake of communion together. Absolutely, we study God's Word. Absolutely, we pray. But all of those things, faith is the ingredient that energizes them. I pray by faith. I study by faith. I serve by faith. I commune by faith. I fellowship in faith. It's faith. And so our story, and then the John, the, the disciples of John there in verse 18 of Luke 7, reported to him concerning all these things. Now a question should come to your mind. Where's John? These are the disciples of John the Baptist, and they're reporting back to John. Oh, he was in a hideous place. And he was in a hideous place because of his faith. He was in prison. And you all know the basic story, so much so that even historically we have very accurate accounts of what happened. If you read Flavius Josephus' work, uh, the Antiquities of the Jews, specifically Book 18, actually John the Baptist's life is in there. It's a historical book written about the times. And it says there that John the Baptist people came to him in crowds, and I'm actually reading from that book right now, and they were greatly moved by his words, the English translation of it. And Herod, who fear, feared the great influence of John over the masses, that he might put them into his power and enable him to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything that he should advise. This is, this is Herod Antipas talking about John the Baptist, the ruler of Palestine, going, this dude's got serious faith. And it was so widely known that the historical account of it was, this guy's a problem thought it best to put him to death, and in this way he might prevent any mischief that John might cause, and not bring upon himself difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it was too late. And so accordingly John was sent as a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Machaerus, the castle that I have mentioned to you in my previous writings. Flavius Josephus writes. He says, this guy's... This guy's a problem for the king. Can I ask you a question? By faith, are you a problem for the king? Does the world fear who you are? Are you walking so closely with the Lord by faith that you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness? That the enemies of this world look at your life and go, uh-oh, we got to do something about him, about her. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. Beer sales are down. Porn's not selling. Amen? I got backed up crack here because I don't have anybody to sell it to. Those lousy folks are getting saved. And they're walking with Jesus. And they're making a difference in their lives. You see, John was the antithesis of Herod. Herod was a ruler who, in essence, had power, but he didn't have anywhere near the power that John had, because his power came from God. And Herod wanted that power. But Herod didn't have that power. If you read the companion accounts 
of John the Baptist's imprisonment in Mark chapter 6. And you don't need to turn there. I'll just briefly give you the synopsis of it, but you can mark it for later. And it says there in verses 17 and 18, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake. Now you remember the story. Herodias was actually Philip, his brother's wife. And Herod had taken him. Now the Herods, plural, were actually a family group. There was Herod the Great, the father of Herod Antipas. There was also Philip, his brother. And so this was an incestuous relationship. And imagine having the faith of John the Baptist to walk into the ruler of the region's palace and go, dude, you're in sin. That is your brother's wife. You have no business having any relationship with her, and you need to stop. That's faith. Because Herod Antipas can end your life. And that is exactly what he would do with John the Baptist. And it goes on, and it says he's in prison for Herodias' sake, as Philip, he's his brother, Philip's wife, where he had married her. And John had said to Herod, for it's not lawful for you to have your... He, he just plainly states it like it is. Family of God, can I ask you something? Do you dance around the truth when people are in sin? Do you dance around the truth when people are in sin? Now, I'm not telling you to be obnoxious. I'm saying speak the truth. Because if you want your faith to grow, you need to take the faith you have and use it. And you need to be willing to say the tough things. Say them in a way that they can be received. But you need to say the tough things. The world has enough liars, amen? And I'll leave what I think of a certain person out right now. The world has enough liars. What the world needs is truth. And they need the truth of God spoken by the people of God with faith in God. We must do this. Ultimately, Salome dances before Herod Antipas, and it must have been a good dance. And I guarantee it isn't something that you would want in your living room. So much so that Herod says, I will give you anything up to half my kingdom. That's a lot of dance money. And Herod lives long enough to regret being stupid. He doesn't really want to behead John the Baptist. He, in fact, says in Mark chapter 6, verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry, yet for his oath's sake, he had made an oath, and now he's going to have to keep it. And for their sakes which sat with him, in other words, he was too prideful to say, look, I made a mistake. And he's got all of his cronies sitting around him. Be careful what you say when you got your cronies sitting around you, because you may live long enough to regret it. He would not reject her, that her being Salome. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and he was beheaded in prison. You see, John lost his head because he wasn't afraid to speak the truth. He had faith. That would occur shortly after the passage that we're in. At this point in time, John is languishing in Macharis, that prison. It's located in modern-day Jordan. If you know anything about Jordan, in the Old Testament it was known as the land of Edom. It was the land of Red's where Esau went. The Edomites lived there. So nothing but rocks. Southern Jordan is the home of Petra, that famous rock city. If you watch the Indiana Jones movies, you've seen it. They're the treasury of Petra. One of the central focal points is Indiana Jones is galloping down through the Seek into the rock city. 
it's a desolate place. But it's also the place where Herod built one of his palaces. He actually took over a palace uh, that was built uh, by Alexander Janaeus. And inside of that palace that overlooks the Dead Sea on the eastern side of the Jordan River is the place that I shared with you. It's actually known as the Well of Souls. So that was actually ripped off as well for the movies. The Well of Souls was actually an old cistern. It was about 80 feet deep. It's still there today. But that cistern was no longer used to collect rainwater. It was used to collect the sewage of the prison. And if you were a really, really, really not good person, you went into the Well of Souls in Macharis. That's where John the Baptist was. He was literally in the septic tank of the prison. And you say to yourselves, but this is God's man. This is the Lord's anointed. This is the one that we're going to see. Jesus speaks about John the Baptist as he spoke of no other man on earth. And yet, John's faith was being tested. Big time. I don't know how many of you have ever had any dealings with septic tanks. I'm looking at my brother Rick there in the back. I don't know how many of you have been inside of one. Or maybe down in a wet well like we have at the camp. Not a pleasurable experience if you're not in prison and you can get out and shower and... You know, do the things that you need to do. They're necessary, by the way, but not some place that you would want to spend not one, but two years. But you say, he's God's anointed. He's God's man. He should be protected. That's why when those health, wealth, prosperity, and I'm going to call them what they are, morons on TV, spout their garbage, I say to you, No way on earth is that true. Why? Because some of the greatest saints, all of the disciples, save one, the Apostle John, was martyred for his faith. If you're walking with the Lord, your faith's going to get tested. And it may be that you sit in the bottom of a septic tank. I know that's not too joyous. But when you're facing mounting debt, maybe you've got a problem in your marriage, it seems like that is your prison. That's your well of souls that you're in. Can I tell you something? The Lord is in there with you. And I believe that's why John had the faith he had to send his disciples and go, Jesus, what's up? Verse 19 now in our passage. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Ask him a question, because he is starting to wonder. Can you see the little lapse of faith here? Can you see the doubt? Maybe John's saying, man, I'm just not sure. In those dark moments when you wake up and you've had some kind of night terror or nightmare, and you're just like, man, was that real? And it revolves around something that's actually happening in your life and your your mind plays it out and the devil begins to work on it and you're just going, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. Is that where this is going and you have that moment where you doubt? Man, was this the right call? Being a follower of Christ, this hasn't paid off too well. I think... Every Christian has occasionally had thoughts like that. You know, I see evil prospering. I see people who don't know the Lord are doing good. Man, they're parties. I mean, shoo, you look at that. I mean, they know how to barbecue in the parking lot. Woohoo! Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? You can almost hear a little sarcasm in that question. When are you going to deal with Rome? Look, you got all this power. We can see that. Why don't you use it for some real good? He might have even been thinking to himself, what am I doing here in this stupid hole in the ground? 
Any of you ever thought, what am I doing in this stupid hole in the ground? I know I have. I've had moments to where I've thought to myself, you know, what am I doing in this stupid hole in the ground? How did I get here? And then I think, but God, who is rich in mercy. You see, John's faith was truly amazing. It says, continuing on now in verse 20, And when the men had come to them, come to him, excuse me, and they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits, and many blind began to see. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, happy is he, joyful is he who is not offended because of me. Do you see the element of faith? John can't see these things himself. He's going to get a report that they actually happened. You ever have lapses of faith when someone else's life is going right and the things of the Lord and good stuff's happening? You kind of get a little holy jealousness going on. It's like, man, they seem to get all the Jesus breaks. You know, they have all these wonderful things going on in their life and their kids are saved and their dogs saved. And cats, can't, cats can't be saved, so I'm sorry. Sure you know that. You know, you, you look at their life and you go, man, everything is happening in such a way it glorifies God. I mean, look at their life. And you look at yours and you say, man, my life just spiritually is in the it's in the tank. And then all of a sudden you remember that, oh, that's right, my Savior raised the dead. My Savior caused the blind. I was blind and now I see. I was limping and lame and now I walk. That's by faith, folks. You may not feel it, as it were. We're, we're so into feelings in our modern era. Well, how do you feel? Well, I feel terrible, actually. Thank you. How do you feel? Well, I, I feel elated. Can I remind you that feelings have no bearing on reality as a general rule? You can have feelings one way or another, and they may not be true at all. Not discounting feelings totally, but I am saying to you that feelings mean nothing. It's what you do with how you feel that matters. What are you going to do? You going to serve the Lord? You going to keep on keeping on? Or are you going to curl up in a ball someplace. John kept his faith to the end. Now, I don't know how tough that would have been, being at the bottom of somebody's septic tank. And they didn't discontinue the usage of it. I, I don't know what that would mean after you're the guy that's down there in the River Jordan and Jesus comes to you. And you say to him, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. You get the picture. This is John the Baptist. This guy had amazing faith. He was preaching what no one wanted to hear. Are you willing to preach what no one wants to hear? Now, you may do that with your life. You may do that with your voice. You may do that with any part of who you are in a practical sense. But are you willing to say what no one wants to hear? Because it takes faith to do that. Because most of us don't like being hated. Amen? If you like to be hated, there's something wrong with you. It's not a, no, none of us wake up, boy, I just hope everybody hates me today. I just can't wait to go out and be somewhere so someone can give me a complete, just scathing report right to my face. Nobody wants that. And yet Scripture says, for His sake you will be hated. 
You see, from John's perspective, a year and a half had passed since he had presented Jesus to Israel as the promised Messiah, and nothing had changed. He was so bold with his faith that got him thrown in prison. He's about to lose his life. The Romans still held the country. There was still corruption in the court. The temple remained completely unchanged. The Herods triumphed over everything. The hypocritical Pharisees sought the chief seats, and the Sadducees still walked in unbelief. It'd be pretty tough to kind of give up on what you believed at that point in time, don't you think? Well, where's the proof? You see, they come with a blunt question. When are you going to defeat the Romans? Look, this ain't working out so good for us. You know, we're, we're John's disciples, and Jesus, we went out on a limb for you. You ever had that thought? Jesus, I went out on a limb for you. I shared the gospel, and now they hate me. I told that guy about you, and now he doesn't like me anymore. That's the situation. Not only did it not change, not only did the kingdom not come as they thought it would, but things apparently were getting worse. Any of you ever had that experience when you share the gospel with somebody and all of a sudden everything about your relationship gets worse? Your kids go completely nuts off the deep end. Your finances fall apart. Your car breaks down. Your dog gets fleas and we don't even have them here. (laughs) Mysteriously goes somewhere and gets them from someone else. You see, at this time, Jesus says, you know what? Here's how I want you to get back to John with this stuff. At that same hour, notice the word many because it's so important. Jesus did what nobody else has ever done. The disciples, Peter raised Dorcas. So there was one time that we know of that the disciples raised someone from the dead. But Jesus healed Many. Everywhere he went, people got healed. It was just like a walking show where everyone could say, this is the power of God, boom, this guy's healed. He healed infirmities, plagues, evil spirits, blind saw. There's some neat words that are used here. The word infirmities there is chronic diseases. These are not somebody had a, (coughs) oh wow, I don't have a cough anymore. I use Ricola. It wasn't anything that could be fixed. Plagues is acute scourges. It's like they had something that there was no medicine for that people died. They had boils or they had a, you know, a type of sickness that was incurable. Luke is using medical terms here. He's saying these people were terminally ill. Terminally mentally ill. Terminally physically ill. Terminally emotionally ill. They were hopeless basket cases. And Jesus cured them. Look around the room, hopeless basket cases that Jesus cured. Thank you, Jesus. And so he sends that word back to John. He says, look, the world's not changing the way you want it to. You want the Romans to be overthrown, but what I'm after is a change of heart because that actually fixes the problem. A person without Christ that's cured of cancer is still going to die and go to hell. Amen? That's the deal. We change that, we're on the right path. We don't change that, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. Demons fled. And so he just says, go your way and tell John these things. Remind him what we're really doing here. You see, the kingdom is coming, and His will is being done. But unless the nature of people gets changed, nothing really changes. That's why these grand experiments socially around the world don't work. On face value, does anybody understand that communism could be a really good thing? 
It really could. Think about it if it were carried out to its logical conclusion. Nobody's suffering, no disease. Everybody has everything that they possibly could ever want, you know, within reason. There's no taxes. There's none of that stuff. Kind of sounds idyllic, doesn't it? You know why it doesn't work? Because the hearts of men are deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? And you will always have someone who will take advantage of the system and use it to destroy other people's lives. That's why no matter what you do with any government, ultimately it's not the actual cure. The cure is Christ. If you change the heart, you'll change the nation. If you change the heart, you'll change the person. Jesus was after hearts. He wasn't after Herod. The Lord is showing power to say, hey, look, here's what I can do. Herod might be able to put you in prison. He can kill you. But I can save your soul. The vast crowds were flocking to him. And John just simply puts forth this, this amazing faith that allows him to endure this and ultimately to lose his life. You see, we do go through hellish things as the body of Christ. I, I can't even imagine what it's like right now for Pastor Saeed to be in, in prison for a second year in Iran. It's hellish. He went with his own money to build an orphanage to minister to secular Iranian Muslim kids. And because he's a Christian and because he had a Bible, he's sitting languishing in prison with internal organ damage, being beaten on a fairly regular basis, being deprived of food because he wouldn't deny his faith. All they asked him to do was to recant his faith, and they'd let him go. Do you have that kind of faith? You see, God's at work perfecting our faith. He's working to accomplish His will and His good pleasure. You see, that faithfulness is, is part of the picture that goes along with our faith being perfected. What's going on here is that what the children of Israel wanted was they wanted another priest. John could have, you realize John could have had it easy? Remember who his dad was. He was a priest. He could have gone into the priest business. He could have eaten of the fat of the temple. He could have had the temple tax his share of it. He didn't have to do this. He sacrificed to be who he was. He was a prophet after the order of Elijah. Think about Elijah's life. When you think about Elijah's life, there's one thing that's, that's radically missing. Every comfort that you could have at that time. So much so that he ultimately ends up getting fed by ravens. Amen? Now, I don't know. Have you ever watched a, raise, a raven raid a dumpster? I don't want that beak anywhere near my food. Notice the praise for John's faithfulness. Verse 24, And when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. So now this is Jesus praising the faithfulness of John the Baptist. Now I don't know about you, but I would like to one day have Jesus say any good thing about me. He was alive. You know, whatever. Just something, I, anything. Here's what he said. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Do you really think that you were going to go out and see my prophet shaken because the Pharisees came down to the river and gave him a bad time? Because people didn't like him? Because they misunderstood his wearing of the camel's hair jacket and the eating of the wild locusts and, you know, everybody mocked him? Do you think he was going to be moved by all of that? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? He says it again. A man clothed in soft garments. You see, he could have had the priestly garments. 
He could have had everything Jerusalem had to offer. He could have had health, wealth, and prosperity as much as the world knew at that point in time. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in the king's courts. Jesus is mocking a little bit here. And it's going to get better. What did you go out to see, a prophet? The Israelites had had all kinds of prophets, amen? They had had, of course, Moses and Elijah and Elijah. And then the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then ten minor prophets, which we happen to be studying on Wednesday night. They had had all kinds of prophets. People who spoke the word of God to the people and said, look, thus says the Lord. Here's what God said. This is what he's going to do. Like it or not, this is what's going to happen. And so he says, Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. Is that a double prophet? A mega prophet? Is that a supersized prophet? It's more than a prophet. Whatever more than meant coming from the lips of Jesus, it was more than anybody who had ever been a prophet before. Now think about who had come before. Isaiah? With everything that he had said about the present times that the people in Jerusalem lived under, all the way to the end times that haven't even gotten here yet, greater than him? Uh Uh-huh. Elijah, who stood with the prophets of Baal and said, Go ahead, I think your God's uh, sleeping, or maybe he's going potty. But I'm going to call down fire, mine's going to light up, yours isn't. Matter of fact, to prove it, I'm throwing water on top of my sacrifice. Greater than that? Uh huh. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you that among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. So from Jesus' lips to your ears, of all of the prophets whose works are noted in your Bible, none of them matched up to John the Baptist, and yet John the Baptist was in a septic tank in a prison. having his faith tested. And then he says something that's almost unthinkable to us. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What was Jesus getting at? You see, the the Lord points to, to the career path of John. He's more than a prophet. He's a herald. He's a mouthpiece. He's a foreteller. He is the real voice. Not like that funky TV show. John the Baptist was the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight His path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not a popular place to be. But he did it with everything that was within him. There was nothing left. So much so that Jesus remarked about his life. You see, John ranked higher than Moses and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and the major prophets, the minor prophets. He ranked higher than everybody. He was indeed not Muhammad Ali, as he said, I'm the greatest. It was John the Baptist. As far as Jesus is concerned, the greatest human being, those born of women, that's what he's saying, of the entire human race, Nobody greater than John the Baptist. And yet he had nothing. His life ended up with him in the septic tank of a prison. Greater than those who had brought revival. Greater than those who had brought ruin. Greater than all. John stood alone. Head and shoulders. He was the valedictorian of the prophet class. Pops, he was magna cum laude, summa cum laude, he was laude. 
Lots of it. And yet his message was very simple. Repent and be reborn. Repent and believe. Repent, have faith in God. Among those who were born of God, the difference here is not one of degrees, not talking about the value of human beings, but it says really that the least person who is born again is greater than the most unregenerate person who's ever lived. The smallest person in the kingdom of heaven, if we were to look at such things and go, you know, this guy lives in a, in a jungle tribe in the middle of the Amazon, and he finally gave his, he knows like two words of the Bible, just enough to believe. He's greater than our president in God's eyes. From the fact that he's going to heaven, You see, what he's really saying is, you want to be great? Be like John the Baptist. Have that kind of faith. It allows you to ride out those trials and grow from them. He was being criticized, to be sure. And if you notice these things, notice what he says. And I say to you, then that I shall liken the men of this generation. What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. They're playing kids' games. They're fiddling around while their eternity is in question. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. You didn't weep. They used to play just like kids do still to this day. They'd play wedding and they'd play house and they'd play funeral, unfortunately. You see, that's the world, isn't it? They're playing child's games. Now, you all know I like sports. I'm not anti-sports. But that's very wealthy men getting paid a very huge sum of money to play kids' games. I don't care what football great. We're in football season and basketball. I don't care which sport you pick. Go to baseball. That's coming up in the spring. I don't care what great you pick from whatever sport. Without Christ, they're nothing. Without Christ, they're nothing. Oh, they may have fame. They may have fortune. But they're nothing without Christ. That's why it's so pathetic when you you see these sports, these athletes who get paid phenomenal sums of money, who end up working at Walmart. They had it. They lost it. Because unless this gets changed, none of it matters. Playing games. One suggested they play weddings. No response. Then they played funerals. No response. You didn't weep. You didn't dance. People in the Lord's generation were like that. People are still like that family of God. They're playing games. Are you going to have faith like John the Baptist and tell him the truth? Because you know, nothing wrong with having fun. Do not mistake what I'm saying here. Do not mistake what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with having a great time. And we as the body of Christ should have the greatest time of anybody on earth. Because we have all this in heaven too. Amen? But the world lives to play games. Amen? Talk to people. It's staggering when you talk. Well, I just can't wait till Friday. Just can't wait until my next bonus check. Just can't wait until I buy this or buy that. Anybody else get sick of the commercials around Christmas? It's like, who in the world buys their kids $40,000 cars? 
$500 iPads, $600 cell phones. You see, that's what the world's... They're playing games. And again, you got a 40000 I don't care if you have a $40,000 car. I won't have one because I think it's sinful for me as a pastor. But for you, if God's blessed you, praise the Lord. But if that's what you're living for, you're in deep trouble. We shouldn't be playing games. It's time to get serious in 2014 about our walks. Verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he's a demon. And then of himself, he says in verse 34, And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, he's a glutton, a wine-bipper, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Amen. Christ is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Praise God, He saves wine-bibbers and former prostitutes and thieves and liars and drunks. Amen? If you put on your resume, I hang out with tax collectors, sinners, thieves, wine-bibbers, gluttons, drunks, perverts, whatever, people are going to look at you like, I don't know, not reaching very high, are you? And yet, that's exactly who Christ came for. Amen? The sick, He said. The well don't need a physician, He said. It's the sick that need a doctor. Amen? And so He ends with, but wisdom is justified by all of her children. You see, you can tell a family tree by what kind of children they produce. And in this case, wisdom would have said, man, look what He's doing. I think I want some of that. May we have that kind of faith, folks. When Jesus speaks of us, I, I pray that it's, we're found wise in faith. Faith that can move mountains. Faith that leads us into loving sacrifice. Faith that will help us in this life and guarantee us the next. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for your goodness and for your blessings. Lord, we pray now as we take these thoughts into our hearts and minds of what your word has spoken to us. We do pray, God, that you would increase our faith. Lord, we pray that we'd be unashamed of the gospel. For it is the gospel of salvation unto all who believe. Lord, it's the only way that any of us will ever see heaven is that we have had faith that you, Jesus, are who you say you are. And Lord, we trust you with our eternity. We pray for those who don't know you. God, that you'd make us bold about our faith. We pray that we'd get serious and stop playing games in this new year. Lord, help us to be busy about our Father's business. We bless you this morning, Lord. We thank you for this time. Encourage us, strengthen us, build us up, Lord. Help us to walk in faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.